So in the beginning, you said to me, Richard, you have cancer three times. You've survived twice. And I want to correct you there. Is I wrong? You're wrong. Really? And I'll tell you why. How many times have you had it? I've had it three times. I have it currently. I don't oh, have I to go into remission okay, I get it. to be a cancer survivor. Does it make sense? And I think what happens is we live our lives like that. We've got this destination obsession. Only when I get there can I tick the box of I'm entrepreneur. Only when I get there can I am a market leader. Only when I get there can I be a whatever it is. No. Right now you you have survived absolutely everything that has ever happened to you in your life. This edition of the Matt Brown Show is proudly brought to you by the Unique Speaker Bureau. The Unique Speaker Bureau is recognized as the best management agency for the Premier League of professional speakers, both here in South Africa and around the world. They strive to build better conferences and match the perfect speaker to your next conference or event. The USB promises you an experience more than just a speaker. Mind Power. The only time you fail is when you fall down and stay down. You get two types of entrepreneurs, those who live in cause and those who live in effect. If you are at cause, you are largely the victor and in control of your destiny. However, if you are living in effect, you inevitably wind up being the victim of your circumstances and at the whims of the world around you. Richard Wright is very much a man with a cause. How to survive brain cancer for the third time. When he was told he only had six months left to live, he had a choice. To let the effect of cancer determine the future of his life or to be at cause and do everything in his power to overcome his illness. Today, Richard is only the 118th human to survive pituitary cancer of the brain in history and has completed an incredible 11 Ironmans. This is a story of human potential and living proof that the power of the mind truly is one of the greatest gifts you have in your possession. Because when your back is up against the wall and you are facing fear head on, sometimes the only choice you have is to push forward and ride through it. So without further ado, enter Richard Wright. So how's it, guys? Welcome back to the Map Round Show. Uh, today, I'm incredibly grateful, uh, privileged, and honored to have with me Richard Wright. Thank you very much. Um, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Thank cool. You. Welcome. Round of applause, guys. Thank you. So, so just uh, let's get the, the kind of headline out the room. You have a very special story, which I'm very excited to tell today. Um, the least of which is that you're the 118th human being ever to survive. A pituitary, uh, primary pituitary carcinoma. So essentially cancer on my pituitary gland. Mm-hmm. So extremely rare form of cancer, very aggressive. Um, interesting thing is that 20% of the population will probably at some point in time in their life have a tumor on the pituitary gland Um, but you just won't know about it unless it is affecting your hormones Mm. and um, if it is not affecting your hormones it depends on the size but you probably won't even know Mm. and most of them are benign uh, and very very rarely 0.2% of all of the tumors uh, become cancerous so Mm. it was a pretty freaky thing Mm. so why don't you take us back to the beginning I mean obviously you're a father you have done Ironman 11 times uh, by all accounts, you are an extraordinary human being compared to, say, like the average dude. Uh, you do rad stuff and you seemingly have this immense amount of grit. You've survived brain cancer twice. I think what's happening now with that, actually. So so right now, um, I'll come back to some of the questions. Um, firstly, there's one thing I have to stop you and say. Um, what is extraordinary? Um, I'm extraordinarily cuck at a whole lot of things <laughs> that other people are, are brilliant at. Um, so we all have stuff. And I think part of what... 
I'd like to talk about today is the power of our mind and how our mind robs us of the ability to be extraordinary mm-hmm. because we are so busy comparing ourselves with other people's extraordinary. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's quite a big thing for me. So one of the lessons I learned from cancer, and it's one I'd love to share a bit later, is uh, the power of authenticity. Um, when somebody tells you that you're going to die, that your time on this planet is, Matt, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, dude, you're not going to have another Christmas. It, it, it's crazy. It, it's quite crazy. But what it does is gives you a gift of, wow, so that, all that stuff doesn't matter anymore. Um, it doesn't matter where I live. It doesn't matter what car I drive. It doesn't matter. You, you become the truest and most authentic version of yourself. But the question is, why do you have to be told you're going to die before you really start living authentically? Um, and that's part of the message. But um, take us back. So let me take you back. So, so funny that you mentioned the kids. It was my wife at the time and I, uh, currently divorced, um, were trying to fall pregnant. And like most of us out there, you have this idea that um, a couple get together, you, you are together for a while, and then you decide, well, let's let's, let's have a baby. That'll be a good thing. And you think, okay, well, it's going to be that easy that whoever's on contraception is going to come off. We're going to practice a couple of times and we're going to fall pregnant. Um, and that just really isn't the truth of it. Uh, very few people, and what's that, that program, The Handmaid's Tale or whatever that is, th- th- those, those women that breeders, whatever, those are the very, very small percentage of the population. For the rest of us, we struggle and, and we did. So we landed up at Fertility Clinic and in routine tests, they found out that my prolactin levels were sky high. And I bet you don't know what prolactin does. No, I didn't think many of us do. What is a prolactin level? A prolactin level. So essentially uh, for women when they are lactating, your pituitary gland sends signals and you produce milk. So you lactate. Um, And for a guy, I'm useless, we don't need that stuff. Mm. Um, So it's pretty unusual for a guy to have prolactin levels that are higher than that of a lactating woman. Uh, Holy shit. So this is just as you were like normal. That's just normal. I didn't even know. So you were so, running around with ah, prolactin levels yeah. higher than a, what is it, a pregnant woman? A pregnant woman. Wow. So fortunately, um, and one of the side effects of having stupidly high prolactin is that as a male, you can lactate. So I'm very grateful okay. that. Yeah, that wasn't happening. Never had that. Thank God. Thank goodness. You're pretty awkward because your shirt's a bit wet <laughs> over here. You know? <laughs> so at least when, when you're running, you want to chafe and stuff, you put Vaseline on it. That's, that's the only reason why. <laughs> so, um, but that was quite scary. It was, uh, so off I went for MRI and I discovered this tiny little tumor on my pituitary gland. But we were able to control it and I went into medication and for 12 years, it was fine. I, I understood uh, and knew enough to recognize the symptoms and off I went to the neurosurgeon, uh, went on to uh, drugs to decrease the levels and on we went. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that didn't even bu- bug me throughout my triathlon career. Um, and so I was, yeah, I was very, very lucky that I discovered something I was extremely good at. And so here's the thing with the extraordinary. I was quite a few years ago, an extraordinary age group endurance athlete. So, um, in, in Ironman South Africa, first amateur athlete across the line, beating, uh, professional athletes, 16th overall, um, half Ironman, same sort of thing. And people often, you know, wow, that's quite remarkable. And I want to say, but not really because I didn't see it that way because I was never mm. the best cyclist. I was never the best swimmer and I was never the best runner. Mm. And I think that's, that's the thing about life is that you, you, you limit yourself so much by thinking that is, this is the thing you have to be the best at or, or really, really good at. But take those three and then the fourth discipline of Ironman, and I think this is what's led me to this point now as a cancer survivor, is that there's a fourth discipline in Ironman, and that is the mental stuff. So, and again, um, Ironman is so long that, that 
the minute you start competing against other people, you end up losing. You can say, listen, I, I'm a, I'm a, mm. my, my cycling is really good, but my running isn't so good. So one of the guys I'm competing against for age group honors is a really great runner, but he's not such a good cyclist. So I'm going to nail it on the bike. So I've got six minutes lead at least, and then hope that he doesn't hunt me down. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you can't compete against other people. So mm. that's the thing I'm the best at. Okay. So, so hence the saying, the race is long, and in the end, the race is only with yourself. 100%. Best quote ever for I man. It's great, eh? That Very one. good. Um, you can have that. And in the end, like, that actually applies to everything, right? If you're trying to be extraordinary, whether you're trying to build a business or you know, just could do an, an event, it's all about competing with yourself. 100%. Because you're either negotiating with yourself to fail or you're negotiating with yourself to win. Correct. Yeah. So, And, and the thing with Ironman, because it is so long – um, you, you can have a really bad bike. You can be on the side of the road and just losing everything in the contents of your stomach and think, oh, that's my day over. But it isn't. You can still, it's long enough that you can, you can come back. Um, but from, 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 an, and I know, I mean, the show's for entrepreneurs essentially. And there's so much, um, that I can take out of my story with cancer. And that is exactly one of them is that as entrepreneurs, I think, so, so let me go back a, a step. Okay. Yeah, because we kind of jumped a little bit. Okay, so, perfect. so you were you were trying to fall pregnant, and yes, then you yep. found this pr- prolactin, right? That that whole thing. Yeah. And then, w- when did you discover like holy shit, the cancer? Yeah. Right. So I'd taken a bit of a break. Um, I went into I was a national training manager for South Africa's premier real estate company. Um, love that. I come from a background of sales, and I just dig sales. But um, no, I really I just do. dig it. I do. No, I really do. I mean, it's natural. It really is natural, <laughs> and I love it. Um, because sales is, after all, it's relationships. It's just relationships. It's how good you are at building trust. Um, and it's so simple. It's just making the other people feel, other person feel important. All it is, and make it about them. Are they heard? Do they feel important? If so, great. You've got their trust. They like you. Done deal. Um, that's selling. You don't sell a product. You you sell a relationship, really. Or you give a relationship. But, um, so I hadn't been able to train much and I'd taken a couple of years off. I did two, um, Ironman events and I still consider them to be the, the most fun I've had in an Ironman. And that was with my ex-CEO, um, went through his first two and it was great. It was really, really amazing. But I hadn't raced for myself. And late 2015, uh, I thought, no, I'm going to give this another bash. I'd qualified for world champs in Kona every year and um, I'd taken up a slot twice and life had happened. And I just hadn't gone. So that's still, it's still even now with still stage four brain cancer, that's still a dream. Haven't, haven't, uh, the one hasn't left the building. Walk me through that though, because you know, so, so when the day that you were actually told, Hey, Okay, so that's coming. Sorry. I'm, okay. I'm, yeah. I'm, so I'm actually trying to get to words. the day because I want to get into like, so, how does one deal with these kind of scenarios where, you know what I mean? Like, okay. Yeah. Got you. So in training, I realized that, um, something was seriously wrong. The, the symptoms that I'd had all the previous years, 12 years were, it was like they were in steroids. I didn't respond to the medication and I couldn't train. I, I would do a session and take a week to recover from like a 30k ride, which isn't even really a ride. And I knew something was wrong. Went off to go and see the, the neurologist and MRI and it didn't look great, but we couldn't conclusively, um, discover cancer because, um, it's your, your blood, you're not going to pick up brain cancer in your blood. It's, it's in your, um, central nervous system. So, um, I needed a lumbar puncture, but I didn't want to have one of those before I did Ironman. What is a lumbar puncture? So lumbar puncture is when they, um, stick a f- stupidly fat needle into your spine and they remove some of your spinal fluid. Hmm. 
Um, and they, uh, they use it to administer uh, specifically with women who are giving birth naturally. Um, and it would deaden the body from that point downwards. So, so essentially like it's an epidural sort of thing, same sort of thing. So, um, essentially what they wanted to do was to, um, put a needle into my spine and remove some of the fluid and test that for the cancer. Um, so the week before the race, my neurologist said to me, Richard, you know, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to say I'd, I'd prefer it if you didn't do the race. And I said, no, no, I'm, I think I'm fine. Um, I haven't done much training. In fact, I did hardly anything, but I've done it contained within myself. I've done it slowly in the past couple of years. I know how to, I'm really good. I'm not stupid. I'm really good at, at, at uh, managing my own body. And if I don't feel good, if I don't finish, it's not a problem. I'd rather have a, a, a DNF than a DNS. I did, did not finish and did not start. So I want to start this thing. And I, I felt it was quite important. So literally five days after completing the Ironman, and you spoke about grit. One of the pictures in my presentation is I finished that thing with pure grit and determination. It, it, my body had clocked out long before the end of the cycle, and it was pure brain saying, you are going to finish this thing. Um it was that important for me. And I think like anything with life, in life, it's how badly you want it. That's what it is. Walk us through like what does an Ironman actually involve? Because I think that will help contextualize like if your body wasn't ready to do this thing, your okay. mind actually overrode what your body was telling you it couldn't do. You know okay. what I mean? Like what were the, what's the actual distances and stuff like so, that? So um, an Ironman starts, a full Ironman starts at a 3.8 kilometer sea swim, normally in the sea, um, followed by 180 kilometers on the bike, and then a full marathon after the bike, so 42. Um, and the funny thing is, and I'm, I'm hearing a couple of people here saying, Zhish. the minute you say Zhish like that, so, so in my mind, every single person is capable, pretty much, um, you know, some exceptions of completing an Ironman event, but a lot of people disagree with me and, and therein lies the rub. The minute you think you can versus the minute you think you can't, you 100% correct. It's not, it's not a, it's not a difficult race to finish within the time. Because you've got 17 hours and you could, you could do most of the swim breaststroke and still finish in the cutoff. If you continuously swim and you just keep going, keep moving forward and you get off and you don't even have to get into a time trial machine. You know, let's move. You can get on a mountain bike with a basket in the front with your food and your drinks in it and cycle at about 23 k's an hour and just, you know, hop along. And you'll, f- but the point is 180 k's at 20, you know, wow, that's like eight, nine hours. That's a lot. And then climb off and then, then you think to yourself, and, and here, this is how our brains limit us. I've got to go and run a marathon now. No, you don't have to run a marathon. The rules don't say run. The rules say keep moving forward. You can crawl. You can walk. You can whatever. Just keep moving forward. So you can walk the entire marathon and you will still make it within the cutoff. You might even do like a 1654, in which case you wasted six minutes of your entry fee. You know, what were you thinking? Just take your time. Um, that's not it. But the problem is that it's like most things in life. The battle is over before it's begun because of the thoughts in your head. An Iron Man, you cannot think of an Iron Man as when I take the first stroke, I'm already thinking of that last step to cross the finish line. You do that and your history or your, your, your head is going to play crazy games with you. Mm. You've got to break it down and say, well, all I've got to do is the first 300 meters to the first boy, and then I'm going to turn left. Mm. So just swim to that boy. We'll just take one. One stroke. One stroke. The power of now. After the next, that's yeah, can can exactly. I take another one? Can I breathe? Yes, great. Let's okay. do another one. Yeah. So that's really important. But when you've done one swim between Christmas and the 10th of April, and it was 850 meters, and you're about to do 3.8 Ks in the, in the sea, yeah. you've done 12 runs, and the, the most you've run is 12 Ks, and the, the longest you've cycled is about 100 Ks, and you've done eight, nine cycles in all those months. Mm. You're sitting there on that beach thinking, whoa, 
you know, am I, am I going to finish this? But I am, I, I know I've got the time. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. But you still at that time on, on that beach that morning, you didn't know. I didn't know I had cancer. You didn't know. No, no, no. Okay. So, Do you think that if you had known, that would have comp- you would have pulled out? So I'm going to answer that question just now. Okay. Right. So five days later, went in for the lumbar puncture and I was told nipple mouth the uh, night before because if it is cancer, we're taking it out. It's extremely aggressive. This is, this is bad. We need to get it out. And so it was like a whirlwind. And even now, if I take myself back to that day, sitting there, I went on my own. I took an Uber in and went on my own because I knew it wasn't going to be able to drive afterwards. And the neurosurgeon looked at me and said, not good news. We're going to theater. We've got to take this out. It's cancerous. I'd made the mistake of Googling beforehand, which, which is a horrible thing to do. If yeah. there's anything wrong with you, don't Google. Yeah, Chris, if, if, if you ever get an STD, don't Google about it. Okay. So, so Chris, can I tell a story about that? Chris is going to enjoy this. Chris. Okay, go. Sorry, Chris. Not, not that Chris has it's got a story an STD, about STDs. Let's yeah, go. <laughs> so so um, I was training in Port Elizabeth. I lived there for a while. And I was training for a, a big block. So five days in a row, 100Ks a day on the bike. But it rained the entire week. So now Lycra, and because now everything isn't drying, you're wearing some of the Lycra that doesn't fit so well. And now it starts to chafe on your, yes, nether regions. And I eventually developed a blister. I can say penis, right? There we go. <laughs> a blister on my penis. Now, it didn't want to go away. So now I'm thinking, I'm, and now I start to Google. And, and all I Googled, it's, uh, I mean, very innocuous, is, is, is blister on penis. And the pictures that came up there, I will never, ever be able to unsee that stuff. Let's do ever. that right now. I was, <laughs> it was so bad. I was convinced it was going to drop off. And I went very, very, very sheepishly went to go and see my GP and I said, listen, you know, what help. Is what this? is this? He said, no, no back to ban, ointment, put it on, you'll be fine. And I was, but that's what happens when you <sighs> Google stuff, um, especially in ailment. Go and see a doctor. Go and see a doctor. So Just I go had, and see a doc. I'd Googled and I knew that this thing was, if I had it, the chances that I was going to live were pretty slim. But what is it? I mean, what, what kind of information comes up when you go, I mean, what are you Googling? Like cancer in general or like that no, specific pituitary, kind? Tumor on pituitary, cancerous tumor on pituitary. And, and it's that rare that you've got to, you've got to scroll down a bit before you even find a site that mentions it. it it's, they talk oh, about all yeah, the other tumors and, and, and the hormones that they mess with and the treatments and the operations for those and removing a tumor, but none of it speaks of cancer on a pituitary because it's that rare. Mm. And then when you find one when it, that it does, you understand why there's so little about it. It's, it's not even graded. You don't get a, like normal cancers are grade one to grade four. It's an automatic, sorry. Yeah, you're done. Done. Um, so, so, so that was really rough. 
Um, but then immediately it's like, okay, I, I'm one of those people where I don't, I don't live with problems in, in, in fact, I fly by the seat of my pants a little bit, which is a, a, an amazing thing and also a bad thing sometimes. But I think that's why I've done a lot of what I've done is don't overthink the consequences going forward. Just how can I, I know, I trust that I am, I'm equipped with whatever I need to face this thing. And I think that was one of the things I know. Well, hold on though, because uh, that's a, that's an interesting point to, to explore, right? But how did you know that? Because, you know, if uh, legit, if, if my wife phoned me and said, Hey man, you know, your blood results came back, you've got cancer, I would shit myself because, because the first thing you think of, well, it's not curable. Once you get like, you're lucky if you survive. Do you know what I mean? So, so that's so the gift for me. Sorry. And the other thing to say is that you knew that this was an even rarer form with even fewer probability of you surviving this thing and yet here you go i've got everything i need so explain that so, so, so it wasn't quite like that it, wasn't it like was that. it was a case of it was so quick that i didn't even phone my parents so oh, really so my parents other side of 70 my mom was having issues with the knee hey mom so um at santa clinic and i'm about to go in for a brain op and so here's the thing i've got this incredibly aggressive form of cancer it's incurable and see you in six hours cheers and and my mom still doesn't forgive me for that, and and she's right. So yeah, she did that. It, I did. It was a bad call. Um, but, <laughs> I thought he was like going to say no. I was thinking about that, but no, then I decided not to phone. No, so I, I'm not. I'm, no, I'm not part of that. But but I did. Okay. And but that was it. It was like it's okay. I'm going to get through this. It's it's okay. And I think the gift was it happened so quickly. I didn't. I wasn't sent home to say we'll see you in ten days time for an operation. We're going to try and remove it. It was you're in. So the first question I had for the doctor when I came out was, did you get it all? Because if you, if you removed it, well, then we're okay. You know, how cool is that? And the news was good. He said it was bigger than I expected. We had to, I had to remove it in tiny little pieces from the inside out. I went through my nose, transfernal surgery. Um, and I'm pretty confident I got it all. I was like, oh, you see, take that. Fuck you, cancer. Um, you messed with an Iron Man kind of idea. And um, then the funny story is that I, I felt down on my stomach and I was like, I've got this plaster here. I said, but what's this for? He said, well, what happens is, you know, it's very far from my stomach to my brain. You know, how, how the hell? Um, and he said, well, you see, what we do is we, we drill through the sinuses and we go through the bone. And we're going into the brain. And uh, we need to plug the hole because we don't want you to lose any brain fluid. So what we do is we take some fat from your stomach and we use the fat to plug the hole. And that's what stops you leaking brain fluid. Fabulous. And the same question, did you get it all? The fat, you know? And so now, winter time, well, now, like when I'm feeling I'm getting a bit of a muffin top, it's kind of just the fat just sinking down from my brain, is what I reckon that is. But, <laughs> but how I still left there feeling, wow, I don't have cancer. You took it away. Um, but then the story takes a bit of a bad turn. Um, about four and a half, five weeks after the op, I had to go in for routine radiation just to make sure they had it all because it's just such an aggressive form of cancer. And, um, I had an MRI done about three weeks into the treatment to figure out if they were hitting the right spot in the brain and they found out that it had spread. And it was at that time when um, my specialists called me in for a meeting. Um, and you always know. So if you've had an MRI done and um, the receptionist or nurse or assistant or whoever, doctor phones you up and gives you the results over the phone, it's because they're good. And when they phone you up and say, listen, the doctor would like to make a time to see you, you know, it's an automatic. Kind of fights, oh yeah. my goodness, that's not great. But yeah. to sit there and have somebody look at you and say, "We're saying on average you have six months to live," is is a thought that you you cannot possibly begin to try and put yourself there. Mm. 
And even when you're there, I got angry. I raged. It was, how dare you? I'm not average. And that kept on telling me that, that the chances of somebody like me getting that form of cancer were, should never have happened. Um, I've never, I've never how been old a were heavy, you at the time. I, mean, so I was 46, 45, 45. I've never been a heavy drinker. I've never been a smoker. I've always exercised. I've looked after myself, diet. I've, I've, lived a good healthy life it's funny how that happens though have you heard like that before like the guys that are really good like this shit happens to them and then you get guys like like myself in many respects who just like for pretty much the best part of 40 years had a jaw <laughs> yeah you know what i mean and yeah. then it's absolutely fine that's a funny thing for now for now yeah exactly well you never know but that, but we can only talk about today <laughs> but that's exactly it yeah. and i love that we can only talk about today and we're going to talk about today a little bit later with so my how did you what did I mean, I understand the anger. What were your anger? Where, where, who was your anger directed at? Was it directed so at? It, it was them. Them, at the, the doctors it was, no, it was them. It was how dare you give me a time? Do you know who I am? Do you know what I'm capable of? Do you know what I, I've got through? Do you know what I've survived up until this mm-hmm. time in my life? Mm-hmm. I'm not that guy who, who plans it all out and ticks all the boxes. I'm the guy who goes in and just makes it happen. Mm. I'm that guy. Did they know your history with Iron Man? So, so they did. And, and so the interesting thing is all of them, and, and up until today, every single specialist I've ever seen has said, if I could pick one person who shouldn't be sitting in the position you are right now, it would be you. But by the same token, if I could pick one person who is most likely to survive it, it would also be you. You're like, well, it doesn't help me now, does it? You know, <laughs> I still have What it. am I supposed to do with that? Exactly. So no. I, would, I was angry. And then... And then you take a step back and you reevaluate everything. What would you do if you had six months left with your life? What would you do with your life? Would you be doing this? Would, would it be the Matt Brown show? And I think it yes. would. And, and, and I sense that. That's amazing. And just all the energy that you put out there. It's, I mean, before I even came in today, that's, it's, I thought about it in the car. It's, if I had to ask Matt that question, what would his answer be? And, and no brainer. I would do a podcast. On my on my bed until I couldn't. I'd have someone hold the mic there, and I'd be like, "Oh my god!" So tell me about the time. <laughs> and, and that would be like the I most, genuinely would do that because and that is authentic. It's yeah. you being the most authentic version of yourself, and that's the thing. And entrepreneurs very often, so often, are chasing not this authentic thing with inside inside of them, but their sense of purpose. I always use Airbnb as an example. That's not some guys who thought, disruption. We need to disrupt this entire industry. How are we going to do that? Let's come up with the next idea. It wasn't that. It was, we. there's a need. How can we cleverly fulfill that need? Nobody's ever tried this. Why don't we try that? Um, that's what it was. It's authentic, it's, it's authentic. And I think the problem with a lot of new business owners and business owners and people that quit corporate or quit mainstream type jobs to, because they want to be a disruptor or they want to become, the minute you start saying, I am a disruptor, I have an issue or I'm a thought leader. Or, no, you, you don't have to tell me you're a thought leader. Einstein would never have said, Hey, Matt, you know, I'm an, I'm a thought leader and I'm a disruptor. You know that? No, he just disrupted because that's, it was his passion and his stuff. Yeah. It was his authentic being. So that was the gift of cancer is, Richard, what is the most authentic version of you? Um, is that what you said to yourself? Or 100%. So I started really? an identity arm. There it is. What is what it starts sh- with… So what's on your arm yet? So it starts with two words. So the That's first one… I am. I am, yeah. Because I am two most powerful words in the English dictionary. What are you? So, so, so if I said to you, who are you, Matt? No idea. <laughs> so you'd start you'd say i am the presenter of the Matt Brown show i am 40 I that's what i do kids. that's not who i am kids yeah married 
Yes. I'm a father. Uh-huh. I'm a husband. But again, that's not who I am. That's not who you are. Mm-hmm. So when people, when I ask that question of people, and I do quite a lot of life coaching, and I always start at this place, and, and I, I listen to the podcast. I, I'm not actually allowed to do life coaching, am I? I think. No, you must. Come, let's coach. It was not, not legal because until you have certain certification or, so I help oh, advise oh, that people, whatever. Yeah, whatever. So. You can just advise me okay. as a friend. But one of the first things I start off with is, I need you to answer the question, who are you? Because before we can answer that question, I can't help you change anything. So for me, it's about the process of exploring. That's who I am. It's not about what one uncovers because who I am today is not who I'm going to be tomorrow. So so you don't believe that you are who you are and you can't change that? No, I believe that. But I'm saying it's about the process of becoming. It's not about, in other words, there's no one thing that says, well, I am this. Makes sense. Makes 100% sense. There's so many things. So how can you say, well, you know what? If I ladder those 100 possibilities of to the to, – in other words, if there were 100 answers to the question, who am I? And how do you pick – like it's like you all of those things, right? So then Absolutely. you say, well, then what's the, what's the intention or the outcome that you're trying to aspire to, which is to get to the truth of who you are? So that's to uncover the purpose. The purpose, the yeah. Hundreds. And, and, but part of that process is about – Meaning. So, like, and it's also about, t- so for instance, if you want meaning, like, take on more responsibility. 100%. So, so, so kids, family, kids. wives, yep. employees, blah, wives. blah, blah, blah. Okay, wives, more than one. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I only have one, okay? <laughs> no, no, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. There's one thing I want to challenge you on, though, is that idea, the aspersion that I am who I am. Well, who are you? So, so a very interesting thing. I had a conversation with my two little girls. They are 10 and 13 the other day. And we were talking about religion. And, um, I came from a very religious, very conservative Methodist background. And in fact, I was going to go and become a, um, go into the ministry. And, and my life took a, a short left. And it's a pretty heavy short left. <laughs> yeah, it's a very heavy one. And my girls now, I'm not going to, so, so who are you? And we were, a, a friend was visiting us at the time and she's Jewish. And we're talking about the Jewish faith. And I said, you know, this is so interesting because you asked the question, who are you? And um, so, th- so they asked me, who are you? So I said, well, if you go back two generations ago, half of the family comes from Viking stock. So you, well, I could say you're Vikings, but, but you're not because you are South African. In fact, the way we categorize people in South Africa, you are white South Africans. But dad, um, if you're a Methodist, does that make us Methodist? Um, no, it makes you my white South Africans. And then we, we spoke about the Jewish faith, which is the one – it is it, well, there's another example before that. If you are of Indian descent, right, and you go to visit India, but you come from South Africa, you get to passport control, and they say to you, "Okay, so what nationality are you?" And you say, "I'm Indian," and and they say, "No, you're not." And you're like, "No, no, I am." Look, 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 look at you. Look at me. I'm Indian. No, 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 no. You are South African. At most, you are South African Indian, mm. right? But it's very different when you are Jewish which is an amazing thing. It's such a sense of community. Mm. It doesn't matter what country you come from. It doesn't matter where you're born. You, who are you? Are you South African? No, I'm Jewish. And it doesn't matter if you follow the Jewish faith or not. You are still Jewish first and foremost, mm. which is quite interesting. Mm. And then when you decide, so I decide I'm Jewish and I decide that I want to go and marry somebody outside of the Jewish faith. I, um, in many cases, well, now you're not Jewish anymore. You've just left us. No, but, but I was always Jewish. No, no, no. Now you're South African. Yeah. It, it kind of works like that. I get you. But a lot of your identity is based on you, who you think you are, is your conditioning, where you were born, the parents you were born to. Um, what is what is truth? So um, if I can skip forward at this point in time to that Injustice League, can we do that? 
We're going to uh, wait. We're going to wait. Okay, wait for that. So, so I'll link this back in there. Yeah. Is at what point do you start to challenge who you are and what you are about? Because mm. at any point in time, so I, one of my talks, one of my presentations is about the DNA of life. Nobody said it would be easy. And life is actually only so incredibly beautiful because it's so damn hard. And the harder your life is, the more you discover the beauty in life. It's like light and darkness. You can't have light if there's no darkness. Um, same thing. But at one point, do, do we, so, so our DNA, from the minute you're born to the minute you die, the, the makeup of you as a physical human being, your DNA does not change. The DNA with which you're born is exactly the same DNA with which you die. But hopefully, and for you definitely, because you don't look like what you did when you came out, um, for, for most of us, what we look like with that DNA when we were born and what we look like when we die, we look like completely different people. So your body is changing all the time. In fact, the only thing that doesn't really change are your eyes, the shape and size of your eyes. Your eyes, less than 10% of what they look like and the size they were when you were born or what they are right now. But otherwise, everything else, I mean, your ears are growing right now. Huh? You can probably sense it. I can feel it now. You can. It's You're almost 40. Uh, <laughs> that's what happens. Um, so, so you're changing all the time, but we, we think that we can't change who we are as human beings. In fact, we excuse so much of our behavior because until I'm, I'm a Leo. Uh, it's all about the ego. So, so if I'm, if I'm a bit, you see, we love the stage. It's what, what it is. It's just, Preach. it's because we're Leos. No, it's because you believe that you are leaving and believe that that is the excuse to, is it really? How much of that is actually who you are? And at what point do you, can you change that? So that's, was that kind of the first question that you asked yourself? So you were trying to say, well, what the hell am I going to do for the, uh, the finality of my life? Yeah. And I've only got six months with the runway left. Correct. Why was that question important to answer for because you? Because I, I think this is why cancer almost had to happen for me is again, conditioning. Um, parents, school, things that happened when I was a kid. I was that kid who was bullied mercilessly at school. I grew up in, in Zim and, um, moved to Cape Town and went to a preparatory school there at Durbanville. And English couldn't understand a word of Afrikaans. And the school was a dual medium, Afrikaans English. And Afrikaans boys, I was in, um, sub B and the boys in standard one, Tease me mercilessly, this, this Sotpil Engelsman. And I really battled to the point that I was held back a year. Principal decided, no, he's battling. I wasn't battling at school. I was passing, but I was just battling. I didn't want to go to school. I was rebelling against that. I was an angry child. It was a, I felt misunderstood and I felt unloved and I wasn't accepted for who I am. That's how I felt from a childhood point of view. Um, and that just played into that paradigm. So I spent the rest of my life from then on feeling and thinking that I wasn't good enough, that there was something not good enough. So I became a people pleaser. I spent my life trying to be what I thought other people wanted me to be. And I was the classic example of that. And here it was, okay, hold on two seconds. You're facing death. How much of that stuff is still important? What isn't important? What is important? It cancer strips away so much of your identity because that stuff isn't actually who you are. Also, it doesn't give a fuck who you are. Not at all. So who would your friends be? Would they be the same friends that you have now? Are you friends with people because you've been friends with them since you were at school? Are they because Facebook tells you they're friends? Is it because your parents were friends with their parents? Is it because of who they are and what they can do for you? Is, is it, or are they your tribe? If you've got six months left, who are you going to spend those six months with? And I can tell you this, you're not going to waste any of your time. Are you going to set snooze in the morning? No. Mm. Are you, are you going to skip opportunities? So, because I'd been through hectic divorce, I don't think there's such a thing as, as one that isn't, and went through financial ruin. I literally had lost everything. 
I knew I was not in a position to leave my girls in any place of security financially going forward if I wasn't there anymore. What do you do? Do you try and work as much as you possibly can to just make a little bit more money? Is that what's important? And how much can you actually make? Or do you work at memories? So I've got six months to make more memories. I've got six more months to impart. I believe that our job as parents is to create opportunities for our children so that they can become better human beings than we could ever dream possible for ourselves. But now, divorce scenario, mom there, me there, I'm half of who they are, and now that half is gone. How, how do I leave them with anything that creates this platform for my kids to become the best version of themselves possible? Hmm. Um, and that's you, and that's you what I started to do. I love that because, one, it's not best, and, well, I'm going to stop smoking or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, in other yeah. words, I'm may I continue my current path or what trajectory sort of thing, you know? Um, and what that, for me, what I love about that is that it was very much about activating oneself. You know what I'm but saying? Because that's actually the only way that you make things better. Do you know what I'm saying? So, so th- that's not the natural response. No, and my not. response wasn't always that. So, so, yeah. so here's a really interesting story. I'd, I was going through this radiation and I've been told that um, I'm going to die. And you, you, what happens, and you, especially someone like myself, a type personality, you become fixated with cancer. I will find absolutely every cure. I will show them I'm going to beat this thing. I went on diets. I, I, I researched. I, I was willing to try anything. So from ozone, ozone therapy to, to hyperbaric chambers to four different types of cannabis oil, and one of them was a suppository, and that was really fun, um, to, to, <laughs> to the surgeons. To the, you're willing to try anything. Um, but because I was so fixated that, that my life became about beating cancer, I became a victim to cancer. I see. And for entrepreneurs, my message is the same. You ask, now I was in real estate and training estate agents. You, you, you walk in and now you, you understand with agents, but one of the first questions you ask is, so how is your market? How is the market treating you? And the answers that come out are, oh, this market is so bad. It's a, it's, it's a buyer's market right now. What's a buyer's market? No, it's a buyer's market is when, you know, everybody's houses are on the market and, and the prices are dropping and, okay, but the person who's selling the house is going to go buy somewhere else, right? So, but they're losing their house, they make up on the other side. What's, what's the market? The market is what the market is. Yeah, oh, and the sellers are all expecting too much money and, oh, the buyers are all coming in low and the buyers are liars and all those, those typical things that you hear all the time. And what that is, is the classic example of, I am a victim of my market. I'm fixating on the issues and I'm so fixated on the cancer in my marketplace that I'm actually, it's impossible for me to overcome this thing because your brain is the most sophisticated filtration system on the planet. It's also great at generalizing, deleting and distorting and getting things wrong. So, 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 so here's a great example of this. I walked in here and my first impression of you, and I'm sorry to say this, Matt, I mean, I think you're a great guy now, but it wasn't. You, you were sitting down there and you, you hardly even looked up at me and I'm like, I thought I was a guest here and I don't feel like a guest. I don't feel like important at all. And, and there was no eye contact. And I looked at you and I thought, I don't like this guy. <laughs> and I, I parked that thought there. Yeah. I just parked that thought there. But you know what my brain does? Your brain can't think for itself. It doesn't have that power. Your brain runs off the thoughts that you put into your brain. Mm. And it's incredibly good at that. So the thought I put in my brain is, this guy's not like, nice, no, I don't like him. So now I'm sitting here chatting to you. And, and the whole time my brain's thinking, it's looking for reasons to validate the thought, things that, think, things that, that, that 
prop up that that assumption and all the reasons that now uh, he's talking as a dad yeah, 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 but you know, what kind of dad is he or whatever it, it, it's it's trying to negate all the stuff that does that, that is at odds with the thought I put in my head and I don't even have to think about that anymore because that's what I did to my brain I put that thought in there it's the law of attraction I mean so many speakers speak about that but that's what it is and the minute you put a negative thought in and I didn't think that by the way but if I did, I'd be thinking, you know, he's put me on this side because he wants to show off his sleeve and he, he thinks his sleeve is better than my, my sleeve. And, and, and what did you see what he did with his hair? Did you see what he did with his hair just now? You're like, did this like flick and, and he's doing that because he wanted to make me feel small because he's in charge here and I'm the guy with no hair and he's not a nice guy. But that's what your brain does. So that's not what happened, by the way. It's a pretty okay. example. Okay. But so you didn't feel like I was not at all. Okay. Not at all. No, 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 no not at Jeez, all. I felt <laughs> really bad for about <laughs> ninety seconds. There, I was like, is he going to stop? And he's like, he's going to correct. I don't know. Like, no, this guy's not coming back here again. No. So, <laughs> so, but, but that's what your brain does, and and it's the only thing in life that you've got one hundred percent control over, are the thoughts in your head, but it's the thing that we are the worst at controlling. So here I was, this cancer victim. Where my entire life was about how bad the marketplace is and how I need to find a cure for the marketplace. And I was focusing on the problem, which is the cancer. I wasn't focusing on the solution, which is me. And being a single dad, having girls for about 40% of the time. And it was a sixth week of, of, of radiation and bearing in mind every single day, five days a week, off you trudge to the, to the oncology department. You put yourself through this horrible treatment. Your head is pounding. It's, it's swelling, scarring inside your head. It's just awful. And I picked my girls up from aftercare and my eldest, Mackie, she was 10 at the time, uh, McKinnon, she turned to me and she said, Daddy, I'm really sorry, but I, I've got a, a project at school tomorrow. It's like, so the teacher told you today about a project tomorrow. I'm really, oh, I'm really sorry, Dad. We've had it for a while. I just forgot. Like, what is it? Solar system. We've got to put a solar system together, get the polystyrene balls from a craft shop, shop and paint them. And I'm like, oh my goodness, the last thing I feel like doing. But off we went to Ranbridge Mall and, I was parked at the intersection, lifestyle nursery on the right-hand side, Bayes in front of me, going out to Randridge Moor, slumped over the steering wheel because I was just really, really battling. And this voice popped up, Daddy, are you okay? And I said to her, I'm not feeling great, but you know what? Just get this thing done. I'm going to go home, lie down on the bed, and probably drink takeouts tonight or deliveries. I'm, I'm not cooking supper. There was a silence. And then she said, this little voice popped up, oh, Daddy, nobody said it would be easy. And I whipped around. I was like, where the hell did that come from? Did your mom tell you that? Who, who, who told you that? Because I've never told you that. Where did, and she said, Dad, I, 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 I don't know what to say. What do you, what do you say? It was the best thing anybody ever could have told me is that nobody said it was going to be easy. And if you want to get through this thing, something has to change. What's going to change? Yeah. What, what, what's going on in your head has to change. How are you going to beat it? How have you overcome anything in your life ever? Iron Man exercise, physical. I know that if I can overcome all the obstacles, say the hardest part of any run is the first step out the door. Exactly right. If you can develop the grit, tenacity, determination, motivation, whatever it is to motivate yourself to take that first step and make a habit out of that, you change your entire life. You change your thinking, you change everything. But you, it, it starts with the first step. I put my running shoes out the next morning, set the alarm, and that was it. I was determined that if, I, if, if, if all I did was walk around the block, that was okay. I was going to beat cancer by changing the thoughts in my head, going back to what makes me good. So there's you saying that authentic place. Who are you? When, when the chips are down, when, when, so I'm not suggesting that if out there you're going through a tough time, go and do an Iron Man. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what is your Iron Man? How do you change your life? Mm. 
And what happens is we spend so much of our lives trying to change stuff, behavior. You can never, you'll never change something long lasting through behavior. Mm. For behaviors to change, you have to change your thinking. That's what it is. Nothing changes, nothing changes. So what are you going to change? Yeah. But we are really, really bad at change management within ourselves. Terrible. And, and those are the lessons I've learned from cancer. So that's a lot of my, what I talk about mm. is, if you want impactful change, and there's not a single one of us who doesn't want to change something about ourselves, who we are, what we are, what we do, businesses, results, sales team, we want to change stuff, mm. but yet so little actually changes. Why? Because you're changing behaviors. We're not changing businesses, trying to change behaviors by, by goals that set their teams and by, by, by goal posts that move in the shift and changing. No, you, you need, you need your team to figure out the identity. Who are you? Why are you doing what you're doing? That question makes more sense now to me because historically I always hated that fucking question because it was like, well, there's no one answer. I kind of like not too dissimilar from what the answer I gave you originally. Um, but in the context of business and the context of like what you had to overcome and there's so many similarities, like you were so fixated, fixated on the cancer that you became the victim. And in the entrepreneur space, you become so fixated on the business that you become a slave to that 100%. business. And and that's like the really successful entrepreneurs that I know somehow manage to alleviate themselves from that business and that business runs itself, you know, and they have with very little hands-on um, uh, time required essentially. Um, and that's such an important thing because then one might say, well, if I am trying to overcome something, the question of who am I becomes a powerful one because it makes you say to yourself, well, who do I want to become? Rather than who am I now? Do you know what I mean? Like there's that there's that slight different frame on on the question because you know to overcome I'm sorry but to overcome cancer like I think, touch wood I never have to do what you've had to do so kudos to you but to overcome Thanks, something so fucking scary like that you know what I mean like you have to become something far greater than who you think you are today. Makes sense. 100%. And it's the same thing with business. Like if you really want to build a really big business, you have to become someone that is immensely different to who you are today. And it's a process, right? You've got to do that thing over 10 years. It takes 15 years to make but a quick if buck. That you know? why, if that why isn't in place, and I think Simon Sinek yeah. talks about the why, starting with the why on the outside. Why, how, and what. So figure out what the why is first, how are you going to do it, what are you going to do. So the behavior is lost. But if, if it's just because I want to become the biggest player in this industry, if that is your goal, good luck to you. You're not going to yeah, get very, you're not gonna uh, sorry. Do a great job. If I, I, I want that head office. I want, I want to win that, that, um, account from that client. I want, man, um, that, that's not freeing yourself up to become the best version of yourself. It starts with the identity and the why. But the interesting thing you said just now is, is how you adjust things by what you want to become. So one of the exercises I've done with teams often, and I love it, it's a kind of a weird one, but getting people to write their own eulogy. So, so like when you die, this uh, is what people doubts about you. What is somebody going to say about me when I die? What do I want them to say? And the interesting thing is you put yourself into that place where I'm not here anymore, so I actually can't, I actually can't do anything about this. I actually can't. Uh, it's too late now. It's gone. And what are people going to say now? And what people start writing is a set of goals. I want people to say this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to have a good time to do that. Um, that's a very, it's a very interesting thing. It's exactly what you're saying now is, but, but I think what happens and that's a DNA. It's, it's, and, and, and so the D is for me, what defines you as a human being, very, very important. 
Um, and, and the N is the neuroscience. It's the neuroscience of, of negativity that we are, we are programmed to be negative people. When you came out of your mother's womb, you were already programmed to be negative. Why is that? Because your ancestors, ancestors, ancestors were never, we, we come, we, we are one of seven homo species. Seven. We're the only one that survived. Charles Darwin's theory of, of those that survive or those that adapt to change. You are incredibly adaptable to change or not. That's up to you. But you still belong to the species that have survived. Homo sapiens, anyone. But what did you have to endure? We were never the fastest on the plains. We were never the, 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 the most aggressive. We were never the biggest. We've always had to defend ourselves. So since you came out of your, you can't even survive. As a baby, you can survive nothing. You're not like a giraffe who pops out and you can run after the first couple of hours. It's not like that. Somebody has to carry you and you only begin to walk and run years down the line. We are built to defend ourselves from everything out there, which means that our first response to most stuff in life is a negative one because it's, it's why we don't like change. Our first response to change is, is a negative one because what now? What, what, what? Well, it's fear of the unknown, right? It's always fear. It's always fear. It's always, yeah. So fear is an incredible thing. Fear can help you to survive cancer or fear can make you get a, a, a negative prognosis and say, oh, okay, then I'm going to put my pajamas on, I'm going to sit down on the couch and I'm going to wait to die. Wait for death, imagine. <laughs> so, so, but, but that is it. So even now, I, I'm, I'm, on Saturday I went in for chemo and every time I sit there on a drip and I watch the patients come in, I can tell you which ones are cancer survivors and which ones are cancer victims. Just by the demeanor, the look in the eyes, the, the Afrikaans hoding, the, the, just, just the attitude. You can tell if this person has a shot at it. And that doesn't mean that every single person who comes through, who, who has got within them the cancer survivor is going to survive the disease. It's a shitty disease and it takes even the strongest, but they'll have a better quality of life. They'll get more out of life. They will last longer. They'll confound their doctors. And the doctors will all tell you if we could give all of our patients one thing, if we could give it to them, it would be that because it's what sets them apart. Mm. So in the beginning, you said to me, Richard, you have cancer three times. You've survived twice. And I want to correct you there. Is I wrong? You're wrong. Really? And I'll tell you why. How many times have you had it? I've had it three times. I have it currently. I don't oh, have I to go into remission okay, I get it. to be a cancer survivor. Does it make sense? And I think what happens is we live our lives like that. We've got this destination obsession. Only when I get there can I tick the box of I'm an entrepreneur. Only when I get there can I am I a market leader. Only when I get there can I be a whatever it is. No. Right now you you have survived absolutely everything that has ever happened to you in your life, including every single little paper cut. Whatever it is. If if right now your house is bonded, you're in debt. You're survive you you're a survivor of debt. If you're married and you are, you're a survivor of your marriage. That's big. You know, if you look at the divorce rate, that's pretty big. If you divorce now, you not only did you survive a marriage, but you survived the divorce. <laughs> you're a survivor of absolutely everything, but we don't live our lives like that. Mm. We live our lives thinking, I can only call myself a cancer survivor once the doctor says, hey, Richard, you're in remission. And when I learned that first time, I went into remission. I celebrated big. I went large. It was, it was. <laughs> I survived cancer. Woo! Get that out. 118th Woo! person in the world. And then what happened? Not even six months later, dude, it's back. Oh. You know, it's like, so much for that. Can I un, un, I unring the bell? You know, you can't unring the bell. Mm. It's, so the next time I went into remission, I didn't celebrate. It's like, what is remission? Remission is just the half time in a, in, in a rugby match. It's interval in a play. Nobody says it's not coming back. People say, look over your shoulder because remission, not gone, remission. You are in remission now as much as I was when I was in remission. 
and, and what, what I discovered one day sitting on an exercise bike in Cape Town, a hotel, is the idea that even as a grade four glioblastoma multiform cancer patient, on that particular day, I could get mowed down by a bus, tragically killed. Two months after I went to remission the first time, I had just come back from a trip where I went on my own into the Kruger Park. I, just, I wanted to process what I've been through, the damage of somebody telling you you're going to die and not being able to deal with that because you're fighting the disease. But what that does, the depression that, that people don't even talk about when they talk about cancer is the depression that comes along with that. It's hectic. And I needed to deal with that. I came back from this amazing long weekend, parked my car at Hopper 6 in the evening, Hopper 2 the next morning. I was awoken by the sound of three men, two of them breaking into my house, one of them waiting. Armed robbers held me up for, for two hours in my bedroom. I'd cancelled my short-term insurance because I was dying. You know, who needs short-term <laughs> insurance? And I watched these guys take everything, every single pair of running shoes I had. They tried them on in my bedroom. And I went, you're going to fly in those. You're looking good. Everything. They took everything. And I sat there thinking, lost, lost, lost. And at that time, I honestly thought that there was a chance I was going to die. But I didn't have cancer. You don't have to have cancer. You don't have to have anything to for you to have a chance of dying today. Mm. And if, if, one, if I had died, or if, if today a bus mows me down, I get some other disease, I, I get sick, I get pneumonia, whatever it is, and that thing kills me. And my little urn will read, here lies the remains of Richard, tragically killed by mosquito, malaria, whatever it is, died a cancer survivor. On the day cancer gets me, I no longer am a cancer survivor, but I'm dead and it doesn't matter. But... Mm. If you're going to survive anything, you have to live like a survivor. You have to live like you've already survived. Mm. And all you have is today. That's what it is. That's like, um, that's, that's such a powerful message, man. So it's like, I suppose another way to say that is kind of like you're either going to be the victim or the victor, right? Always. Yeah. Always. And that's, and that's a conscious decision. Yeah. Every day. Every day. And it took yeah. my 10-year-old, my 10-year-old little girl yeah. to say, hey, dad, nobody said it was going to be easy yeah. to say, dude. You're a victim. But listen, if, if, if there was one thing that you would point to to say that, you know, to overcome cancer or to overcome anything, just in your own words and in your own experience, if there, um, of the many things that it requires, you know, tenacity, resistance, belief, all this kind of stuff, if there was one thing that you would point to to say, this is what I believe to be true about overcoming any adversity in your life, what would that be? Yo, that's quite a tough question because what it is for me is not necessarily what it is for you. It, it's... um. Not at all. It's part of your makeup, but you can also, you can, you can change all of that. I think it's the cognitive process of thought control. I need to change how I view this thing. If I'm a victim of the market as an entrepreneur, I'm a victim of, oh, it's so bad right now. We're having elections coming up and nobody wants to do anything. Nobody wants to trade. Um, economy's down. Donald Trump, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter what it is. The minute I start spotting that stuff, I've become a victim of that stuff. Um, the most successful agent was a company I worked with beforehand, four years in a row, one agent of the year. And um, somewhere between 350 and 400 million in sales in a year, which is massive. Until very recently, she didn't even have a smartphone. She used to run a little Nokia. In her words, I control my universe. It doesn't matter what the market's doing. It doesn't matter what the sellers are doing, the buyers are doing, my competition's doing, the economy's doing. It doesn't matter. If I'm going to succeed and be the best agent in an entire company, let alone my area, South Africa, I need to stick to the knitting. I need to control 
my universe, which starts with controlling my thoughts. So that's, that would be it for me. That's so interesting you said that because literally yesterday I was writing in my book, which I'm really fucking battling with. But, um, but basically I wrote that you get two types of entrepreneurs or just people basically. Um, but you get those who live at cause and those who live at effect. Which is another way of saying 100%. what you've said, right? Correct. So, so for instance, the cancer thing could have been like, "Oh, woe is me," and I've got six months and to it live, wasn't and and you will believe that that is what the only time you have because you know what, no one else has ever done that shit. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And by the way, even fewer have even survived it. So, you know, who am I to be different? Who am I to be bigger? Who am I to become? Do you know what I mean? Or yeah. whatever that might be, it's victim. Um, or at effect, but then you were, you said, no, I'm not going to be at effect. I'm not going to be a cancer victim. I'm going to be at cause and I'm going to do whatever is in my own power and whatever's in my own control. Cause that's the only thing you can it's actually happen to me. 100%. Yeah, totally. And then, and I will execute on that to the best of my ability. And that's what helped you win. And that's what your thought control process is kind of saying, 100%. right? So that was the Iron Man. So after the second time, again, it was harder the second time when, when you've, you've, you've rung that bell and you celebrated so large. And then somebody says, Hey, it's back. And now it's mutated. It's, 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 um, it's a hybridized. And at that point in time, yo, it took me longer to get out of that victim mode. But again, it was, I'm going to enter Iron Man South Africa and I'm going to go and do that thing. And I, it doesn't matter. And, if I think of what I put in and how much training I was able to do, but every single day I, I, I even just ran around the block, two blocks the next day, whatever it is, it didn't matter what I did. The fact that I got out of my house environment and just did something that in my head was if, if I can overcome that stuff just to get out there and do that, I can beat cancer in my head. So um, I'm also starting, uh, I've written a book and, and I'm, I'm worse than you. Um, so we're both crastinators, but I'm the true pro. Um, I really am. Are you? So, so <laughs> Um, so, but the, and the book and the working title, a friend was chatting to me and uh, she came up with this and I think it's really, it's, it's pretty good. It's, it's all in your head because everything, an entrepreneur, businessman, whoever, mother, father, every single thing, every outcome, it's all in your head. What you said just now about your book, I, I had to restrain myself. I almost wanted to like hit you on the side of the head. You said, I'm, I'm fucking battling with it or I'm yeah, fucking I, I was just about to pick that up yeah and, and as soon as you say that again what I, I, I you are going to battle I don't like that guy yeah. your brain cannot think for itself your brain cannot stop the thoughts that go in your head and the minute you say that what's happened now and this is an interesting one when you say something you reinforce it four times because you're using four different places in your brain to say it I have to think firstly what I'm going to say then I have to tell the cortex the cortex says okay let's say it you cannot say something without hearing it now your ears hearing auditory and now i've got to decipher what i heard so four times i've reinforced the thought that i put in my mind just because it came out of my mouth which is why affirmations and what you say is so important but you've got to say something that's believable so for me going through an iron man event i have i'll say i'm strong feeling good strong feeling good strong feeling good strong powerful strong tenacious i look at words that are on my arm here strong brave um and because I'm saying it, your brain can only hold one thought at any, in any given moment. You cannot multitask. We think we can multitask. We can't. Uh, this world is forcing us to multitask. Right now, you're talking to me. We're aware of people there. You're looking at your phone in the time. You're listening. You're doing all these things, but actually only doing one thing at a time. You're just doing them consecutively quickly. 
That's all it is. But because your brain can only think of one thing at a time, what you put in there is so incredibly important. And if you can compartmentalize your time, how amazing is that? If you can be someone like a Steve Jobs who said, you know what, if I can eradicate 14 decisions from my life, 14 brain exercises just by wearing the same thing every single day, I now no longer have to choose. That's 14 things. I've freed up the neurons to find other neurons to do clever, clever shit. Not what am I going to wear today? So, how are you controlling those thoughts? Lance Armstrong, for instance, and, and in, in a drug-filled world, he was the best one at it. But his affirmation was, pain is temporary, failure is forever. Pain is temporary, failure is forever. For me, it wouldn't work because now I'm saying two things that I'm reinforcing in my head, which I really feel. I feel pain and I'm worried about failure because the pain is going to make me stuck. I'm saying pain, failure, pain, failure, pain, failure. I'm, I might as well just stop him because, hell, this is bad. It worked for him because he, his base of performance came out of anger. Uh, no father figure in his life um, for the first two years of his career his coach had to hold him back had to teach him you, you cannot go flat out from the beginning you need to race smart you need to understand when to release the anger control the anger but he for him it was anger for me it, it isn't it's survival what you're telling yourself on a daily basis is going to determine the outcome of whatever you want to achieve. You want to write a book, you need to start thinking differently about your writing and about the book. Or if you can't think differently, you need to come up with a solution. But by telling yourself that, all you're doing is handcuffing yourself to an idea, which actually, is it true? Well, no. It's just a bullshit narrative, right? And that's that's the thing. I mean, <clears throat> to your point, it's like, um, like, I believe the only thing that stops you getting anything really, I mean, outside of like maybe certain scenarios like cancer or maybe something just there is no cure for but who knows now anymore with you sitting here <laughs> but it's like the only thing that stops you from getting anything in your life in your business is the story you keep telling yourself about why you can't have it 100% you know what I mean 100% so again that's the identity and, and if you keep on going back to that place who am I why am I doing this thing who am I um, and when you tattoo words on your arm and the words of my mom when I had my first tattoo she said that, that's permanent right I'm like yeah mom but you think very carefully about the words that you tattoo on your arm. It can't be fleeting. It can't be something that you think is going to change. This is actually, let me try this and test it. Is it who I am? And some of the words here aren't great. Obsessive. Obsessive is a fantastic quality and it's a horrible quality. Um, I obsess about things and again, that's the power that you give yourself. But if you're obsessed about the right thing, I am going to finish this Iron Man. It's an amazing thing. I'm vulnerable. There are lots of things. I think that's the other thing for me. As entrepreneurs, as business people, as people trying to change our lives, we obsess about the good stuff about ourselves and we try and avoid the bad stuff. And the more you avoid the bad stuff, pick, pick a quality that you least want to be. The thing, and if you can picture the person who's got that quality, this is the thing that if, if I'll do any, anything in my life not to be like that, what would that quality be? Abusive. So, if you obsess about not becoming abusive, 10 to 1 at some point in your life, you'll become that. You become abusive. Mm -hmm. It's funny that you it, become the things that you resist. So, so if you can accept, so, so this is a big turning point for me. Um, and a friend of mine, Mike, helped me with this one. So I've got the words Amor Fati tattooed on my arm here. And the thought came from Friedrich Nietzsche. So it's Latin, Amor Fati, embrace your fate or love your fate, for it is in fact your life. The cancer, until the point I accepted the fact that I had cancer, and you can't do anything about that. Figure out what you've got control over. Figure out what the things that you can change and put your attention there. The things that you cannot change, accept them and move on. That's the serenity prayer as well, That's right? That's exactly accept what it is. The things you, you know, cannot the, change and the courage to change the things 100%. you can. 100%. So 
When you embrace the fact that you are an abusive person, you've got that in you. Every single one of us has that. To be clear, I'm not actually an abusive person. <laughs> <laughs> totally get that. <laughs> no, I totally get that. But every single one of us have got that quality within us. We have. If you've got every single one of the traits out there is in you. It's in your makeup. It's in your DNA. Whether you become that or choose not to become that is a different matter. But the minute you say, I am not that, I refuse to become that, I, I, I will not, I'll, I'll distance myself from that, at that moment in time, you're going to run into trouble. And one of the talks that uh, I'm booked a lot for is, is Radically Authentic Leadership. That's through the Unique Speaker Bureau, right? A unique Speaker Bureau, absolutely. Thanks for sponsoring the show, Brooke. Huge thank you. Thank you, Brooke. <laughs> um, and they've been, they've been absolutely, in fact, that's been a real, a real blessing for me is to have people manage me as a, as a new speaker on the circuit where uh, literally I went into remission the second time. I phoned up my previous um, CEO and I said, that's it. I'm, res- I'm resigning. And we had a, a two month sort of tussle over. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. And, uh, but it was, you know, I'm freed up now. I- I'm in remission. I'm freed up and I'm going to go and do what I want to go and do. And that's going to spread my story because I believe that I can, if, so I've got a, a six practical tool sets. You want to change anything, change your thinking. Mm. How do you change that? Mm. And there's six practical things that I talk about in my talks. And, and essentially, this, this is a toolbox of things. If you can just use one of those things, mm. you will change the outcome of your life. And that's, that's, that's my passion. It's my obsession. Mm. And I've come from a coaching background. I've always done coaching, assisting, helping people to become better versions of themselves. And if I can tell my story and tell the lessons from the story and in some way impact people's lives to change, man, um, that's happiness right there. That's awesome, bud. Mm. Cool. So let's wrap this up. Um, we're going to do Injustice League. Yep. Cool. So the guys will get set up and stuff. But what is the one injustice that, uh, that you see okay. in the world? So, 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 so it's, it's, it's quite a cool one, I think, in that it's, it's so prevalent. Stop killing time. And I'm not saying killing time where I'm, I'm an addict of, of Clash of Clans. I, I, I got four different, ba- four different bases, four different accounts. What? I rock at that no stuff. No way. Yeah. But I mean, how many hours do I spend wasting k- killing time? But I don't. That's how I survive part of cancers. You, know, you can't do stuff. You keep yourself busy. But I'm not talking about that kind of killing time. So here's, here's a cool story. If you lived in England in 1752, you lost 11 days of your life. From, 11 days of your life there? were taken away from you. So England followed the calendar, the Julian calendar, which came from Julius Caesar. So when Rome was, uh, you know, took Britain, and he brought along the calendar. Most of Europe followed that calendar. And because he's Caesar, and you'll do as I say, and that's what it is. And it doesn't matter that people said to him, but we're losing 11 minutes a year. It's like, who cares? This is, you know, just going, just going to take over another country. And a lot of Europe um, understood sort of 1700s that is an issue with this. We're actually losing time. This isn't accurate. The, 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 the Julian calendar isn't as accurate as another one. So Pope Greg, that's not his full name. We'll just call him Greg for now. Pope Greg said, you know, I, had, I was praying one day and, and God said to me, your time is wrong, dude. In fact, but it wasn't God. It was Mary because she wears the pants up there. And Mary said, you know, we need to change the time. And that's, you need to follow the sun and the solar system. And because that's the 365 days. And, but it's also it's a leap year and seven cycles and whatever else. And, and Europe started to change to Gregorian time. And in, in 1700s, um, UK, they finally came to their senses and said, you know what? Actually, ours is inaccurate. We've got to admit that we're wrong and we're going to change it. So you went to sleep on Wednesday, 3rd or 4th of September, 1752. You wake up, woke up on Thursday. It was the 14th of September. You lost 11 days of your life. That's pretty shitty. How did the British people respond? 
they went, they rioted. They rioted to give back, our, give back our time. But, but you didn't lose anything. You went to sleep on a Wednesday, you woke up on a Thursday. And here's the concept for me. I could be in that, that girl. Think, think, think about this today. This is, I mean, this, this is your wrap your head around. The 17 year old at school. Her birthday is the 12th of September. She goes to sleep on the Wednesday. She wakes up. I missed my birthday. Uh, I, I, I now, what, what happens now? I can't, I can't be a legal driver. I can't, I can't have legal sex. I can't, uh, I, I can't, I can't, I can't drink legally. I'm, I'm like, what, what am I going to do? My, my life, millennial, my life is over because I can't do these things. I missed my birthday. What is time? Time is a made, man made concept. Mm. Those are the same people who, so, so, so Matt, tell me now. What do you call Sunday from five o'clock onwards? What do you call it? It's called Monday Eve. Is that what it's called? It's because it's such, a, such a big thing, Monday Eve, you know? And, and then, and then what happens? What do you get? Or what happens to you when you fall asleep on Sunday? Ma- Monday. Yeah. yeah. Those, those are the people who, who, one seventh of all their time on this planet, they hate. They, they, they spend their day hating one seventh of all their time. I've got a theory, and, and if you're into the Survivor show, and in like day 36 or whatever, when nobody knows what the hell's going on anymore. It's like, where are we? Who are we? And something really bad happened to one of the guys. And you had to say to him, would you like to guess what day it is? He's going to say, I can no idea, but it must be Monday because bad stuff happens on a Monday. That's how we programmed. Those are the same people that get to Wednesday and they're like, oh, hump day. We've got through our week. Oh. And in fact, if we were doing It's a horrible this, way to live, by the way. No, it's a shock. But, but how many of, how many people in the population live like that? Stop killing time. How would you live your life if somebody said to you, you're not going to see Christmas. You've got six months. Would you worry about a Monday? It's today. It doesn't matter what time it is. It doesn't matter. Why, why do we obsess so much about calendars and times and days when it, it's completely irrelevant? You could have lost mm. 11 days of your life. Mm. And so what? You woke up. It's crazy, man. I totally agree with you. And on that bombshell, it's time to pick up a bat. <laughs> a bat? <laughs> wow. So, um, yeah, so just, uh, it's a thing we do on the show. So put the mic down. You can put the mic down and then, uh, I'm going to get out the way here. You have signed health and safety forms. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's, uh, well, I mean, it's an injustice league. So you just take frustration out on people. Well, on the dustbin, not actual people. Yeah, no, you can. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Three. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's legit. You could pick your mic up for me, bud. That is one fucked dustbin. <laughs> How awesome is that? That's legit. Check I wasted no time That's amazing. in destroying that one. Get out of here. Get out of here. Time wasters. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. That was awesome. Um, so just one that last... That felt really good, by the way. I uh, know, it does, hey? <laughs> it's an angry man. That again. It's an angry, angry We're man. We're all abusive. You see that? <laughs> <laughs> just take it out of the dustbin. <laughs> but um, last question for you, buddy. I, uh, I always ask this one, but in the context of where you are in your life, like, why do you do what you do? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Okay. What gets me out of bed... So, so I don't fear death at all. And I haven't. And throughout this entire journey, I haven't. Um... It's just a change in your living circumstances and you're no longer living. That's what it is. But what I fear most is leaving my girls without a father. Um, what I said to you earlier about our job as parents is to be able to, to provide a platform for our kids to become better versions, better human beings. It's not about achievement, success, but being a better mensch, a better human being that we could ev- ever hope to be. One of the biggest reasons, so, so this is one of the tools I give people, is that happiness is not 
a destination. Happiness is a feeling. So imagine how you would change your life if you were chasing the feeling of happiness, not happy, happiness as a, as a destination. And I, I'll explain it very quickly in the time we've got left. I'm single and I'm really unhappy because I'm single and I'm, I'm, I'm going through cancer on my own and hell, it's really, really hard. And I'm sure I would be happy if I could just get a girlfriend. Fortunately, I found one. She's amazing. But anyway, so, so I found this girlfriend and, and I'm like, this is, I'm really, really happy. And after a while, it's like, well, she's not so happy because she lives in Port Elizabeth and I live in Johannesburg and we don't see each other so often. And, and, and she's saying, well, Richard, you know, I think, you know, to make us happy, we need to go to the next step. And maybe we need some forever in this. I'm like, but you've been married before and, and you said forever and I've been married before and I said forever and, you know, but I'm unhappy and that would make me happy. Okay. I better put a ring in it. Get down on my knees and I, I, we get married. Now we are engaged. And we're happy for a little bit. And then after a while, we're not so happy anymore because now we're not dating, but we're not married. We're kind of in between us. And, and it's still not really permanent for her. She's thinking, you know, does he still have a Tinder profile? Does he not have a Tinder profile? Is it, if he was married, he, he's not allowed one. So, so Richard, we need to get married now. I'm like, would that make you happy? Oh, no, that would make you happy. So, so we get married and we're happy for a little bit. And then the next minute she says to me, Richard, I've got my little family. You've got your little family, but we don't have our family. And I think we need our forever family. They would make me happy. And until I got that, I don't feel fulfilled. I'm not, I'm not happy. Like seriously, we need to bring another life into this world. It would make me happy. But now we're both on the wrong side of 40. So now we're trying for this baby and, and it's such an unhappy process because it's fertility treatment and it's ovulation tests and it's, if we can just fall pregnant, we will be happy. And we finally fall pregnant. And Matt is, the, it's, you know, it's the worst time in a man's life. It is so bad. She's got cankles. She's worried about the stretch marks. She's, she's carrying one, but she's eating for 16. She's, you're hearing the sentences of anchovies and peanut butter in the same sentence. And she's peeing all the time. She can't pee. She can't sleep. It, it's so bad for the guy. It's horrendous. And I say the wrong thing to her, which makes her more unhappy. And I said, if, if, if I was falling pregnant, I wouldn't be moaning. What a gift. So amazing. I, what is wrong with you? Which is the wrong thing to say. And there's lots of unhappiness. But if we could just get this baby out of there, we'd be happy. And finally, the baby comes out. And now it's the worst time for both of us because we don't remember when last we slept. And the baby has gone yellow. It's got jaundice. And, and the baby puking. And the baby it's like, Jesus, so unhappy. And, and so it goes with life. And, and you a couple of years along. And then finally, it's, can we just get these kids out of the house and we'll be happy? Just be us. And finally the kids leave and like, okay, we can be happy now. But I look at her, I'm like, I don't even know who you are. If I could just get divorced, I'll be happy. And we spend so much of our lives. And I, 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 that's what like we scary do. Truth. It's a scary truth. We spend the next degree, the next job, the next business, the next whatever. That is going to make me happy. We chase happiness. And what I learned with cancer is that waking up in the same house as my two little girls, one of them was in the bed with me, that, that made me feel happy. Kissing them in the ear, whispering, I love you. Get up, time for school. Let's go and have breakfast. Feelings of happiness. Chatting to them, making their lunches while they have their breakfast. That is happiness. Writing a little love letter. They get a letter from me every single day. It's a unique little letter. They open them in their school boxes, but they don't even get to read them. That's the best part. Their friends love them. The friends take them out and read them to them. I've had some fun with that, but oh, anyway. Wow. And then knowing that they come home and they take that letter and they put it into a box in their room where all the other letters are. I get up in the morning because my job is to create memories of happiness for my kids and to try and influence other people to understand that when you start changing your thought processes, even to something simple like happiness, mm. you can change your life in a massive, massive way. You can change your business. You can change anything. It starts there. So if I had to ask you to make a list of all the things you do in a day, make a list of all the things that make you feel happy, compare those two lists and then adjust, what would you do? Fucking inspiring, brother. I wish you many more days of creating happy memories. Thank you, and you too. Thanks for having me on the show. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a great show, bud. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. Cheers. Cheers. Round of applause. Thank you.
This edition of the MapRound Show is brought to you by NetworkSpace.co.za. In fact, our studios are here in building number four at NetworkSpace up in Johannesburg. These guys have made us a huge deal, have really bent over backwards to give us the kind of service that most exciting businesses deserve. If you want more information about NetworkSpace, you can actually come and check out our studio. We are always open to meet new entrepreneurs and business owners from around the country, and you can do that right here at NetworkSpace.coza. Thanks for checking out the Map Round Show, guys. And if you'd like to get the Kung Fu put in your ninja, check out digitalkungfu.co.za. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my Clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.